Welcome to The View from the Front, a podcast about military matters happening around the world, followed by some motivation at the end, because who doesn't need all the motivation they can get at least once or twice a week? Every Tuesday and Friday, I discuss military and defense news, as well as some history, motivation, and wisdom, and I do all of this from a moderate perspective. I am your host, and my name is Stan R. Mitchell. I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After spending 10 years as a journalist, I became an author, and I've written 11 books to date. This is the August 19th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us today. I love talking about military matters and motivation, and I am truly honored that you're here. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please consider subscribing. At a minimum, subscribe to the podcast through whatever channel you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Pocket Cast. All of my podcasts are free, but if you really want to be a rock star and support what we're doing, you can sign up at my Substack for $5 a month. Not only will that help encourage and sustain what we're doing here, as well as make it better, but it will also get you the Tuesday post on Tuesday. Otherwise, the Tuesday posts are going to be delayed by a day unless you're a paid subscriber. I do that as just a way to encourage folks to support what we're doing here if they can, but it also doesn't really penalize you if you can't make that $5 a month payment. At most, you're waiting one additional day for uh, for the content. Either way, we're really glad you're here today. Thanks so much for joining us again. There are a ton of things to get through, so with that, let's just get started. Our first subject today is Ukraine. I always have quite a bit on Ukraine. And there are several things I want to go into about Ukraine in this edition, but I actually wanted to start with a question. I had put a question on uh, Twitter asking um, any of my followers if they had any questions, anything they'd like me to answer in a future podcast, let me know. And I got a great question, so here it is. One question for your podcast, if it fits at some point. In Ukraine, we have veterans helping out in many ways. I know the official stance is not to go there, but I think many feel they can help in some way and don't want to let evil go unchecked. I follow a few ex-military authors. Some openly support Ukraine, and some are silent. Everyone has their reasons, and that is okay. I realize I don't understand the complexity of all that is going on, but any insight you might have that you could share would be appreciated. This war is hitting me so hard, and I have become very interested in it. Thank you. That's a great question, and... uh, I think there are a few answers to it. Regarding why some of them are silent, so I think there's at least two things to that. Uh, One is, obviously, some don't think that America should be involved. They think this involves Ukraine and Russia. Let them deal with it. So I understand that, and I respect that. And especially for ex-military, a lot of these uh, folks have been there, and so they they know the dangers of war and uh, possibly getting dragged in. So I think that's a small part of it. Uh, I think there are some that feel like they can't make a difference, so there's no point in posting about it. I know even speaking for myself, uh, constantly keeping up with it, it can kind of start to wear on you and weigh on you. So I respect those who can't get too emotionally engaged, especially those who've seen some hard times in the military and been deployed into dangerous situations and lost friends. So I think that's the other thing. Um, So those are the two main reasons. And, you know, I think all of them are to some degree worried about. You don't ever want to do things that might affect your book sales or upset the audience or create controversies with publishers. They're pretty strict about making sure that you don't, you know, offend people or create some kind of huge thing that goes viral and then suddenly 
you know, you're, you're literally, your livelihood could be at stake. So I think those are the reasons that some aren't involved or staying silent. And um, so that was a great question. Hopefully that answers it. That's about the best answer I've got to it. I'll mention it again at the end of the podcast, but I really do enjoy getting uh, questions. So definitely send me more. I'll do my best to answer. Now let's get a little bit more into some uh, Ukraine news. Wanted to begin with, we've talked in the previous episode on Tuesday and also last week that uh, the Ukrainian forces are increasingly getting closer to potentially launching an offensive near Kherson, although there's also the small chance that this might be some kind of a ruse in order to shift Russian forces. We discussed on Tuesday that Russia had moved about 3,000 airborne troops to the area to reinforce, and Ukraine has been making some small incremental gains around Kherson, and there is a chance they're going to cut off Russian forces that are on the other side of the Dnipro River. I know for the past couple of weeks we've talked about how Ukraine has been hitting two of the major bridges across there. At this point, I don't think there's any bridge that's um, worthy of any type of heavy traffic, and the Russians are mostly relegated to using pontoon bridges and or um, small pontoon boats to move across um, small barges. So the Russian army is definitely starting to get cut off. And with that in mind, I wanted to uh, share something that General Mark Hartling had shared. Um, he had put up a Twitter thread and in a couple of them that I wanted to highlight, he said that the Russian army is going to increasingly find it difficult to hold large cities, establish governance with a population that is countering their actions, fight Ukrainian ter territorials, defend their bases, resupply their southern forces while keeping the supply lines open. And then he says, how do I know this? He says, experience in an insurgency. And he said that uh, Ukraine's army may appear to be moving slowly, but he'd suggest or even know that they are, quote, preparing the battlefield. He said that sometimes can take a long time, but it is an important factor. Quite similar to what General Hurtling was saying, uh, Max Boot, who's a columnist and analyst for the uh, Washington Post, he wrote a column in the Washington Post uh, just a couple days ago that stated that the Ukrainians were using what he called a thousand bee sting strategy. Or actually, he quotes a Ukrainian uh, military officer for saying that. But uh, he does a quick recap of the war and what the Ukrainians are doing. And he describes that the Ukrainians are doing an indirect approach to combat and reminded folks that if you remember when the Russians were driving toward the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, that at one point there was like a 40-mile Russian column. So instead of hitting that with a, you know, an armored column or some kind of direct force, the Ukrainians instead, they picked off supply trucks with uh, javelin missiles and they basically starved out those advancing troops who then were forced to withdraw. Uh, similarly, in um, the Donbass region, the Russians amassed their forces, concentrated them, used heavy artillery. They actually pushed the Ukrainians back, but the Ukrainians inflicted such you know high levels of casualties that that offensive has mostly stalled out, and they haven't even been able to secure the entire uh, Donbass region, which was one of Putin's goals. And in that final point is, as we're talking about Kherson, uh, Max Boot talks about that because they've hit those bridges, that essentially they might be able to uh, force the Russians to withdraw without even having a major battle. 
um, because the Russian supply situation is growing increasingly, you know, difficult there. So the thousand beasting strategy is uh, what a Ukrainian officer said. Essentially, that's what the Ukrainians are doing. It's just classic guerrilla warfare. America's had to deal with that in numerous battles. It's it's something that throughout history has historically consistently worked. So that appears to be what the Ukrainians are doing. And I'm really hoping that that will succeed around the Kherson region. The next thing I wanted to go into was there was a massive explosion in the uh, area of Crimea. That's obviously a part of the Crimean Peninsula. We've talked the last couple of episodes about the attack on the airfield that happened there and whether that was saboteurs or missiles. Well, there's been another massive attack. This was apparently saboteurs in this instance. The British Ministry of Defense provided an intelligence update that stated that a a massive ammunition dump had exploded in northern Crimea. Um, And this is obviously the second major attack that has happened down there following the airfield attack that we've discussed in uh, the last couple of episodes. The Ministry of Defense states that two of the most important Russian military airfields in Crimea have now been damaged. Um, The ammunition dump that just exploded apparently also uh, damaged a nearby railway and electricity substation and that there was also some smoke rising from a nearby airbase. So apparently two airbases have now been hit, as well as this massive ammunition dump that has exploded. I've also got a link to both the intelligence update from the Ministry of Defense, as well as a CNN article that shows uh, just how big that explosion was. And the Ministry of Defense mentions in their update that the cause of these incidents and the extent of the damage is going to cause Russian commanders to be increasingly concerned with the apparent deterioration in security across Crimea, which functions as a rear base area for the occupation. So good job by the Ukrainians because they're now going to force the Russians to have to defend even in their rear areas, which have typically been secure. As I said last week, those attacks on that first airfield, that was the first attack of any kind that has been reported at least for six months. There have been no attacks back there. The Russians have felt safe. They let their guard down, and now things are starting to happen back there. So just like General Hurtling said earlier in his uh, thread on Twitter, the Russians are going to increasingly feel like everyone's watching them, and um, they need to be even more cautious, even in the areas that they originally thought were safe. Let's move from this topic to the uh, nuclear facility that we discussed in the last episode. I wanted to share uh, actual video uh, imagery from Chuck Fair. He's a longtime Navy SEAL, former SEAL Team 6 squadron commander, has literally deployed everywhere. So he shared on Twitter a link to a video that shows that the Russians are actually hiding equipment in some of the buildings that are at the uh, the nuclear facility that has been obviously disputed. And in the video, you can see at least five, six trucks in the, via- in the building. So they're literally taking mil- military vehicles and hiding them in industrial build- buildings at a nuclear site, which is why they do not want to allow in international inspectors. And they're also, I would almost guarantee, firing from this u- uh, nuclear facility And so they've basically got this spot that they can fire from, move vehicles back inside buildings, 
and they're escaping the ability of the Ukrainians to use counterfires on them. So everyone has kind of suspected this all along. It's just now that there's actually starting to be video and uh, photographic evidence of this. So wanted to share that. I continue to believe that the Russians are not going to allow in any kind of outside inspectors because they know they'll be caught red-handed. And they also want to use this nuclear facility as kind of a dangerous thing to blackmail both Ukraine and Europe and the West. This is, as I said last uh, Tuesday, it's the largest nuclear facility in Europe. Definitely a lot of uh, dangerous stuff there. And they want to be able to use this as almost like a, uh, a hostage or something that they can hold over the Ukrainians, especially since the war is now increasingly going against the Russians. Like I said, you can see the uh, video of that uh, in the source notes, which are at the bottom of this if you're listening to us on the Apple podcast, or you can find them in the link from my Substack page. Interestingly, I had to briefly stop recording, and I've come back and done some editing following up now. And since the time that uh, Chuck Fair posted that on Twitter, um, CNN has confirmed the story. Uh, So I have a link to a CNN story in the source notes as well. And this brings up a point that I've been meaning to make for a while. I follow on Twitter lots of folks who are analysts who keep up with this stuff. They really get into the weeds. And time after time, the vast majority of the time, these really, they're experts, are proved correct. And so it's a way to get not only into the weeds and into details, but it's a way to find out news before news makes the major media sources. And so. Obviously, you guys who've been following me for a while, you know that I've been consistently correct on most things most of the time. And those times that I am wrong, I'll definitely, you know, man up and say, hey, I was wrong about that. But it isn't that I'm like some kind of genius on this stuff. I've just, as I've said before, I love to do research. I love to get in the weeds myself. And I've managed to come across lots of uh, experts that I've curated. And in that time, I've also come across folks that were wrong about some things. And as that has happened, if someone is wrong more than once or twice and they don't, you know, have the courage to admit their wrongs, or if they start to show some type of bias, then I'm definitely, you know, going to remove them from the list that I'm following and no longer trust them as a source. So with any type of news, you've got to vet it. Whether you're making the news, you got to vet your sources, you got to confirm your facts. It's the same thing if you're a consumer of news, you have to, you know, are the people that you're following, are they telling you the truth, basically? You know, that's the, the number one bottom line. But more importantly, are they sharing it in an honest way and also in a responsible way? You know, we it's so easy to fire off at the hip and make people mad, to scare people, to do all the things that we see, see people do, both on online in broadcast media, sometimes even in print media, it's easy to scare people, to get clicks, to put bait out there, you know, clickbait. But doing responsible journalism is hard. It takes time. So anyway, I went on a bit of a tangent, but my point is, is this was just the perfect example to show that there's good stuff on Twitter. There's very good news. There's very good expert opinion. I'm not saying all of you have to get on there and and spend near as much time as I do. But I wanted to provide this as background because a lot of the times what I'm trying to do is get you guys news ahead of the broadcast and mainstream media. But additionally, I'm also trying to get you news that's really into the weeds that you're not going to find anywhere else. So 
anyway, kind of went on a bit of a tangent, but it's sometimes good to open up the hood of something, look at the operating system. And so that's what's happening. That's what you guys have been hearing every week. You've probably picked up on a lot of this on your own, but anyway, I like to be transparent. And so I wanted to show you guys how I'm pulling together some of this news each and every week. And as I've always said, you, I try to put source notes to everything that I'm quoting from. And so you can always double check any of the stuff. And if I'm ever wrong, or you guys think I'm wrong, I want to hear from you. You know, I'm not too proud. I'll, I always surprise people because when they email in, they are stunned that I reply. I generally reply, reply pretty quickly. And they always say, wow, you're like, so all you're so open and honest. So anyway, I, I'm not some kind of big shot or anything. So if you see something or if I'm wrong or if you have a news tip, send it in. I want to see them and hear them. And maybe there's some folks I'm follow that I'm not following that I should. Or maybe I've strayed outside the lines. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie, guys. I need everyone's help to uh, keep it between the lines. I'm just a guy that loves military matters. I love history. I love foreign policy. I've said before about how important it is, how we get sucked into things from Vietnam to to mission creep in various places. So that's all I am, just a normal guy who served my country and who loves, you know, talking about the things that I talk about here every week. And my bottom line is I think our democracy doesn't work if we don't have an informed citizenry. And I feel like that we have more that unites us than divides us. So obviously that's always the theme, theme of the podcast is the famous quote from Abraham Lincoln that a house divided cannot stand. And so I, I just do my best to not scream from either side and to just try to inform people and to try to remind us all to be kind and to try to be patient with those that we disagree with. So that's pretty much it. And that's probably a good intro to what we'll talk about next and what I need to be very delicate with. And that subject is the one year anniversary of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Wow, what a topic. More than anything else, I want to be super delicate with this topic. Um, so let's just start with uh, a couple of things that I put in the source notes. Um, I've got a a Marine friend, or maybe friend's an overstatement, but I've talked to him a time or two, and um, he's an AP reporter named Jim Laporta. He's a prior U.S. Marine. He wrote an incredible story about, um, you know, on the on the one-year anniversary. He actually wrote this prior, but at any rate, I'll just read a couple of sentences from it because I think it, like, perfectly encapsulates the pain that so many of our veterans feel who who served there. And in some ways, Afghanistan affects all veterans because um, some say that, you know, we betrayed our allies um, or many feel that way. And um, so it's easy for those who haven't served there or um, put in the blood, sweat and tears to say, hey, strategically, we should pull out this or that. You can make all these arguments in a political sphere, but this is an emotional topic. And so I'm going to try to very delicately just make a few comments. And um, it, and I can only make these like a year from now. I can tell you this time last year, uh, I nearly lost a friendship with a Marine buddy. And um, it was, uh, man, it was hard. I think it was hard for everyone. And, um, and the funny thing is, is myself and my Marine friend, we mostly agreed on almost everything, it's just the political rhetoric was getting out of control. And um, so let me just 
get back on the point that uh, Jim Laporta wrote. Former Marine, served in Afghanistan. He lost Marine friends. And um, in this AP story, just a couple of quotes from it. And I've got a link to it, which I highly recommend you guys go read. But he says, Afghanistan is my sucking chest wound and always will be because despite, despite what we've seen these recent weeks, wars do not end with a withdrawal or retreat or retrograde, or the signing of a peace treaty. Instead, they ebb and flow with the memories of those who were there and the ones who received an unfortunate knock on the door one day from people in uniforms. On those battlegrounds, there is a permanent shattering. It's the real forever war. And then, so I don't want to share any more about the story. He shares um, something that happened to him, just one small snippet of the time he spent there. It's a great story. It's titled, A U.S. Marine, A Curious Afghan Boy, and An Unfathomable Moment. I've got a link to it. Easy to find through the source notes. A great read. And I think we all need to remember the withdrawal. Um, I want to make maybe one or two comments, if I can, and not get too, um, too I don't want to say emotional, but just too into this topic. It's, it's, a, it's a hot one. It's a touchy one. There's sensitive feelings on all sides. So I think um, I think if you look at what I wrote a year or so ago when all this was happening, um, I think obviously I would have liked not to have pulled out. I believe, let me just say the things I believe because I think that's probably just the best way to do this. I felt like that um, I had lots of military friends who are on active duty. I'd I know most of them would almost rather be deployed than not. Um, life on a military base and peacetime military is um, its a tough existence. And it's not like these are war-hungry people. It's just you train to do a job, and most military people want to help people. That's why most people join. Um, you want to help people. You want to serve your country. And just training on a military base and getting yelled at by sergeants and inspections and room inspections and all the things that go into that, that's not fun. That's why most people get out. Um, but those who do go, I know you can take service and, um, you know, too many deployments. It's almost like a drug, the, um, the feeling of being so alive and the danger and all. But most of them are going to help people. And most of them, so many, so, so many signed up for multiple, multiple tours to Afghanistan, especially, but also Iraq. And so for the past 20 years, these men and women have, have gone and done so much. And then to, um, to make the strategic decision to withdraw was so painful. And it makes a lot of people feel like that a lot of their effort was wasted that maybe the lives that were lost were wasted. It's very hard to explain these things. It's very hard to wrap your arms around them. And so these are this is a very deep and touchy su subject. And so I felt at the time that, and I want to say this is a bipartisan thing. This is very easy for people to say, oh, you know, President Joe Biden shouldn't have ever withdrawn. He's an idiot. He's this, he's that. But the reality is, is I don't totally blame him. Uh, I do blame him for one thing. I'll, I'll explain that in a second. But this was unfortunately a mostly bipartisan issue. No one likes to hear it, but the reality is President Trump had signed um, an agreement 
to get out of Afghanistan. That was his plan as well. Uh, the deadline got stretched out, but he released 5,000 Taliban prisoners. He was well on his way to making the same thing happen. Now, some say, well, he would have done it better. And I'm not going to get into the the debate of, of who would have done it better. Um, that's That's definitely debatable. But who I ultimately kind of blame is the American people, because the reality is, whether it was the left or the right, um, the left is, you know, not always a, a group of individuals that want to get involved in things overseas. So they were ready to get out. Um, but also even on the right, you know, there's there's been an increasing um, kind of isolationist strain that uh, President Trump helped lead. And so both sides basically wanted to get out until we decided as a country to get out under President Joe Biden. And then suddenly everyone flipped. And the thing that makes me frustrated and angry is, is mostly the American public ignored Afghanistan for 20 years. That's the reality. It was carried, it was a weight carried by a very small portion of American um, soldiers, Marines, airmen, etc. And so we mostly ignored it for 20 years. It, it was easily sustainable. But clearly, um, President Trump wanted out. He wanted out of there. He wanted out of Syria. He wanted out, you know, he wanted to bring home the troops. And I totally get that. Clearly, President Joe Biden wanted out as well. He was at the end. I don't even think he executed it very well. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. He was inflexible. I think um, we obviously doubted or we were incorrect about how the Afghan forces would hold up. But, you know, this is a complicated subject. As I've told many of my friends before, the worst part of it is, is that we took what should have been a pretty uh, successful operation way back in 2000, early 2000s, when we went into Afghanistan with a small number of troops and used local warlords, including the Northern Alliance, to overthrow the Taliban, we took what was a very successful operation in one of the most remote and most difficult places, and then we allowed mission creep to go. And we decided that somehow we thought we could take this one of the poorest countries in the world, one of the least literate countries in the world, and turn it into a democracy, into a place where women would have equal rights, which, um, you know, clearly most Afghan men don't believe. Um, and clearly, if you look at what has happened even in the year past, they, they're forcing women out of the jobs and back home and forcing them to cover themselves, cover their faces. So our, it was mission creep that ultimately started us down a very long trail that as a country, we did not have the attention span to sustain. Having said all that, as I kind of hinted to earlier and kind of said, we could have and we should have kept a small military presence there. Uh, most military advisors, generals, etc. say, you know, 2,500 um, or so troops. We could have stayed there. We could have probably kept the Afghan government in place. Maybe they wouldn't have controlled the whole country. But I also understand that, you know, that that was not that was not what President Biden wanted. He's um, seen a lot of loss of veterans. Um, he's obviously his son served as a veteran. Same thing with President Trump. He wanted to get out. So the reality is um, the, it was frustrating that once we decided to withdraw, we turned this into a political mess. And, you know, I could I could debate and argue and, and go on about this for a long time. But no matter where you are on the subject, this is a sore topic. 
I don't think anyone's totally, even a year later, fully processed it. And we might not 10 years from now. I, I don't know. I don't even know really how we heal from it. We still have, you know, probably 100,000 plus people that helped us there who we were not able to get out, who the vet, so many veteran groups, um, so many individual efforts of people who served there, who put their own money, their own time in volunteer groups, sometimes using, not even using volunteer groups to get out people as the Afghan government collapsed. Um, it's just the entire thing is a very frustrating, painful wound. And I don't know, I don't really know what else to say about it, but at any rate, we just passed the one-year anniversary, so we're one year in, um, and we're still dealing with the consequences, um, and people are still making a political issue of it. Now, some say that uh, it helped encourage uh, Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine because he saw American weakness, and I think that if you're, um, I think that's there's some definite validity to that point, um, which is kind of, it kind of puts us in a weird position as I've explained when I've debated a couple of friends or talked with them because I feel like um, we're kind of a, a dangerous country right now in that President Joe Biden knows he looked weak in that instance, even though he sees it as personal strength that he was the one that was finally, you know, Obama wanted out, Trump wanted out, but he was the one that was like, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it, whatever happens. And it was way uglier than I think even he expected. But he knows he looked weak. And so I think we've seen, it's almost like there's a chance that he's going to overreact to something at some point. And I don't know when or where that happens, whether it's something to do with China or, um, you know, maybe in Ukraine, but, uh, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think he knows that people see him as having looked weak. Then he knows that he constantly gets criticized for potentially maybe looking somewhat weak now on some various issues, but, um, I think at some point, and I might be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see an almost overreaction to try to, um, you know, fix or rectify that situation. But at any rate, that's a neither here nor there. But those are kind of my thoughts off the top of my head. I've tried to put some thought into them. I hope I haven't offended anyone. I know this is a very touchy subject. And um, as usual, I always kind of half say it, but I love all you guys that are listening. I'd love any feedback you got. I know this is not something that... Um, is easy to discuss or talk about, but for all those who did serve, um, I, I don't even hardly know what to say, but thank you for your service. Thank you for, I, I know how hard this must be and how painful it must be even now, but uh, man, it, for those struggling with it, especially on the one year anniversary, just as I've told some people in private, just like sometimes it's one hour, one day at a time, but uh, just hang in there and because um, we need you as a country and they're, or family members and uh, people in your community that need you. So please don't do anything rash. Reach out for help. I know that takes courage, but do that if you need to. And I promise you, if you can just take it one day at a time, it'll eventually gets better and you eventually can get past these um, nightmares that are so, so um, close sometimes. So there we go. That's all I'm going to say on that. Okay, that was deep. One more quick news bit, and then we'll get into some motivation and uh, wisdom. I'm putting a link up to a uh, speech. I wanted to give a hat tip to Joshua Larson for sharing it on Twitter, but a uh, speech from uh, General James Mattis, who was talking about, I've talked in previous months 
maybe six months or so ago about the transition of the Marine Corps and the changes they're making. It's been pretty controversial with even some very high-ranking officers because some of the changes are pretty big. And I've been a little, uh, I've been neutral mostly, maybe a little slightly against it. But um, when I saw the comments, there's a short video, it's about 30 seconds from General Mattis. I think I am on the Team Commandant um, side now. And so I know that any potential um, realignment to stop the uh, threats from the Chinese will probably require some change. And the Marine Corps has, has done just a ton of change. And, and I think that's where the issue comes is that it's hard to make change. And some of the changes are, are really big changes, but it is what it is. And um, I think I'm increasingly getting on, like I said, the idea that the change is necessary. So I'll probably go into that more in some future episodes. But uh, the Marine Corps has been doing a lot to change. And I've talked about that, like I said, it's probably been six months or so ago. But uh, maybe I'll put that as a topic that we dive into in a future episode. So let's end with some motivation and wisdom, and we'll wrap this uh, edition up. I say this every week, but for the motivation stuff, I don't have time to list all the different places I found them on Twitter. You can find them in the source notes. If you're on Twitter, these are great people to follow to uh, kind of motivate you. We all got to sharpen our minds because we all hear nothing but negativity for most of every day. Uh, I always like to start with a little bit of good news story if I find one. And I did find one for this week. And um, it was from NPR. And it said that for the first time in 75 years, the world's smallest sea turtle uh, created a nest in Louisiana. So that was freaking awesome. Um, I say this, I've said it in a previous episode before. I don't understand why we can't all get on board about conservation and all. I, when I was a super far-right Republican who hunted all the time and all, like saving places to hunt and all is a big deal. If you're on the left and you're all about global warming, saving the world's a big deal. I feel like we should all agree that taking care of the world as best we can is something we should all agree with. So I only say that because um, sea turtles are something I kind of have gotten into lately. They're my wife's favorite animal. She's always talking about them, sending me articles, etc. And the last time that, uh, in fact, her dream is to uh, get to swim with one, which I don't even know. There Apparently there's some places you can do that. But at any rate, um, it was cool that I saw this story. But the last time I was at the beach on a little mini vacation, I literally found myself picking up trash and straws because she's shown me so many articles about uh, sea turtles and how they eat plastic. And that's what leads to most of their death. But how cool is it? I know that lots more people are being aware of plastic and trash, but how cool is it that for the first time in 75 years, these sea turtles have shown up in Louisiana? So that was really awesome. I got a link to it if you want to read it. And uh, if you're throwing down trash on the beach, I think you're kind of, you know, a piece of crap for doing that. So please don't do that. Please pick up an extra piece or two while you're there. That's the old Boy Scout thing. Leave a place better than how you found it. So let's move away from that. So here are those quotes. I'm going to read them. I'm not going to mention where they're from. You can find them all in the source notes. Here's the first one. Change your language to, what if it does work out? Believe in possibilities. Think of the best case scenario. Re retrain your retraining your mind will lift you higher out of the overthinking, stress, and worry of negative thoughts. That was pretty amazing. Chase your vision. The money will follow. Good one. 
All that we are is the result of what we have thought. The mind is everything. What we think, we become. Amazing. Master your mind or it will master you. Another good one. Sensing a theme. I didn't try to make a theme on this. These are just good ones I came across, but we all got to make our mind stronger. Mind makes the body and the emotions stronger. So they're all, I'm glad they're kind of working as a theme. Here's the next one. Management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. And that is deep, very deep. Next, dear past, thank you for all your lessons. Dear future, I am ready. How great is that one? Next, if you keep carrying the bricks of your past, you'll keep building the same house. That was another good one. Next, your growth is a continuous process. And then finally, let's end with this one. Silence is the best response to a fool. Oh, man, does that one hit home? Okay, kind of wraps up perfectly with where I try to end every episode anyway, which is, you know, be kind to your fellow Americans. Don't overreact on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you're at. Let's try to pull the country together. Reach out to someone if you haven't talked to them in a while. You know, I always try to remind folks to, especially if it's a veteran, they need help. None of us want to admit it. We all mean we all need help. That's the honest truth. And most of the time, we'll tell you we're doing fine, and that's not always the truth either. So you got to actually reach out to them and dig and ask some questions. And so, I don't want to say we all want to talk about stuff, but we'll sometimes share more than you think. So uh, do that. So let's end with it right there. Thanks for joining this week. Um, make sure you visit the website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email, or you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your favorite channel is. Um, definitely sign up so you'll never miss a show. We'd love to have you join us twice a week, every week. Um, while you're at it, if you found some value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to us at. Or you can simply tell a friend about the show. That helps us grow, too. And if you really want to be a rock star, you can throw a few bucks in the hat by subscribing at the website I mentioned, stanormitchell.substack.com. That will get you the Tuesday edition without the one-day delay, and it also helps us grow and improve the show. So if you dig military matters as much as me, make sure you sign up, do that, and you can always check out my books as well. I've written lots of military thrillers. thrillers. You can find all 11 of them on Amazon. So, hey, thanks so much, guys. Have a freaking great weekend. Can't wait to see you guys on Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on what your subscription level is. And with that, I'm out.